0: Hi and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. This is your host Spencer Martin. This week we are talking uh, second week of the Giro d'Italia, which just uh, went into its second rest day today, and previewing, predicting, talking about the final, the final five days, which actually, incidentally, are are probably the most exciting f- five days of the race. So. We are in for a great, great, great final, I guess, week, but kind of a short week, final five days, work week, whatever you want to call that. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyond There's a free version. If you like the podcast, that is a no brainer. Sign up for that right now. And there's a paid version. It's daily analysis during grand tours. So that's 90 days of daily analysis. And it's at least three times a week during non grand tour weeks. Uh, you can sign up for that at beyondthepelaton.substack.com. There's discounts to uh, select brands for paying members as well. So check that out. But back to the racing. Uh, yesterday was supposed to be the queen stage, stage 16, uh, going over like famous mountains like the Paso Portai, which I've ridden, which is very hard. It was just crazy hard. It's really hard to like convey how difficult these climbs are if you've never been there. Um, and then finished on the, the last climb being the Paso Jao into Cortina, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mountain town. There was a bit of, I'm still not quite sure what happened. They can't, they, they shortened the stage. They just chopped out the two middle passes, which were probably the two most important passes of the day. So they just kind of like did an initial climb out of the Veneto Valley, the Po Valley into the Alps. You know, it's kind of like they went up and over the foothills, but the foothills in Italy, are wow they are not like foothills in the U.S. They are very very steep. It's just like it's almost like Salt Lake City or something where you have the mountains slammed right up against the flat areas. So it's like it was like an eleven kilometer long eight percent climb, and then they just rode this valley road all day pretty much until they got to the final climb and then the descent into Cortina. I wish that they would have done the whole stage. It was cold and rainy. So obviously that sucks, like who wants to race in the cold and rain? But on the other hand, this is the Giro, like that's the brand, like that's what it's known for. This isn't the tour. If you want fun in the sun, go to the tour. If you want to race in the cold and the rain and sometimes snow, go to the Giro. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's May in the high mountains. It's going to be cold. It's probably going to rain. You look around the Alps, it's really green. That's because it rains all the time. So I was confused and disappointed why it got shortened. And it wasn't there is an extreme weather protocol that if it's too hot, it's too cold, if it's snowing, if it's icy, if it's sleeting, they can shorten or even cancel a stage. They didn't put that into effect. They just kind of, the race director just said, uh, I heard some people complaining. <laughs> no one no one's actually on the record complaining or saying they want the stage shortened, and we're just gonna chop out these two middle climbs. Uh, there are some conspiracy theories that He was so the race director Mario Vigna is so sick of breakaways winning, which we'll talk about that in a second. It's actually been a really really boring past week, probably one of the more boring weeks. Hey, cycling is never boring. There's always something interesting going on, but from a macro perspective, we we might say boring uh, because the brakes are just dominating this thing because there's no motivation in the peloton to chase them down. And you know, it's it's kind of a crazy theory, but I I don't totally reject it. And then he just thought you know what, if I chop out these two middle mountains, it's going to be GC contenders on the final climb, because this valley is going to be so easy to control uh, that these guys can't stay away. And that's exactly what ended up happening. I mean, we got a break with some really interesting riders, like Dan Martin was up there, Joao La Vincenzo Nibli, of course the Shark was up there. This is the Shark's home terrain, not home terrain, he's from just Sicily, but uh, he really, really, really is comfortable up in the, in the Dolomites. He loves to do long range attacks up here, so yeah, no surprise he was in that break. But I thought Martin Martin's been he got uh, distanced on the gravel stage on stage eleven, which was a great stage. Um, I'm not sure if had a, done a podcast since then, but uh, yeah, that was that was maybe my fa- favorite stage so far. Uh, really fantastic. Uh, he yeah he lost like seven minutes six six seven minutes on that stage, but then on the Zonkrolon stage, he didn't. He probably should have purposely just ridden easy up it to lose time because it like he's he was something like seven or eight minutes back on the GC at the start of the day. That's not really enough time to be let go because if they run this stage in its entirety and he gets in that early break, you know, it's not inconceivable he could make that time up. Same with Joao Almeida. So I mean, Ineos was that you could just see we, the only part of the race we saw was the valley and Ineos really had it under control. I mean, they looked impressive, lined out. Um, in, in rain jackets, in, in Castelli rain jackets, smartly uh, with gloves on. I'm surprised. I was shocked how many. I mean, it looked really cold, really rainy. I was shocked how many riders didn't have gloves on, like full-finger gloves. And that seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, EF was another team that was bundled up. I mean, it seems like a huge advantage. I, I don't, I mean, even Bernal didn't have anything on his legs, which seems a little crazy to me. I mean, maybe he didn't want anything inhibiting him on the final climb. Um, obviously, it worked out well for him. So it yeah, won't, won't second guess him too much. But yeah, the EF, so EF takes over. This is kind of the only super interesting part of the stage. It, w- it was a little formulaic and boring without uh, the middle climbs in there. But EF takes over with like 35k to go, which is highly unusual because you really think, well, Ineos, it's their responsibility to control this race. I mean, if they don't want Joao Lameda taking three minutes, they need to peg him back because uh, they're leading the race. The onus is on them. But EF takes over, ramps the pace up was pretty hard paced they did a really good job of it especially Simon Carr who they picked up almost accidentally from the Delco which is like a small small French team like a really really small French team uh one of the sponsors came over to EF and they demanded like three or four riders come along with them and he was one of the riders that came over I mean in retrospect huge move what a diamond in the rough um he's on the front for a lot a lot of this especially like with on the, on the Paso Joao, he's putting a lot of guys in trouble. He eventually dropped Simon Yates. Um, and Yates have been kind of like dangling off for a few kilometers before that. So we all saw this coming. I mean, Yates, except for the Zonkalon stage where he looked really good, he's not looked very good at all this race. So I uh, wasn't totally shocked to see that. One thing I was shocked, though, is Damiano, Damiano Caruso is in this group. Um, he was sitting last wheel for a while, but he did not look under pressure that much. Uh, pretty impressed by that. So then we don't see that. We don't really see what happens after this until the finish. I have like little clips of video. It's in the newsletter, but it was, it was really minimal. We see Bernal come to the front at like around 23 K to go. Um, And it looks like he's putting pressure on. He's not attacking. He's just kind of like ramping the pace up and everyone's having a hard time staying with him. Hugh Carthy's going deep to stay on his wheel. The next time we flash back, he's just like literally sprinting up and over the top of the mountain. He's dropped everyone. Um, and what I would guess is what happened is Carthy went too deep trying to stay with him. Carthy pops Caruso and Bardet, or I guess just Caruso, rides his own tempo, tempo and comes over the climb like 40 seconds back or something like that. So not that, not that far back. Um, Barde is third over the climb this is all like, I'm like almost just borderline guessing. It's crazy how little we know. I think Bardet comes over the climb like a minute, a little over a minute down. If we look at his Strava, he did it in 33.53. And the the time I have for Bernal is 32.45. Ineos doesn't let riders put stuff on Strava because they're lame. They don't want us to have fun. Uh, So I just had to time that myself. So. A little over a minute down so it's like Bernal Caruso Barde. uh we don't re- we don't see the descent either but what's notable here is Bernal is on rim brakes which are lighter um I think that's Pinarello just doesn't offer a very light road bike with disc brakes so the team's kind of stuck racing on rim brakes which is crazy because they're such a scientific team you'd think that they would have a bike sponsor that like shared that with them so he's descending in the wet on rim brakes, which is a huge, huge disadvantage. When you have disc brakes, you can, you can really, really rail, what, especially wet descents. So um, I mean, that's exactly what happened. Bernal lost quite a bit of time. I mean, by the finish, they come into the finish. Bardet and Crusoe are like 26 seconds back. So they've pulled back. I mean, Bardet's pulled back like 40 to 50 seconds on him, just on that descent. Um, really impressive. And the, one of the weirdest things I've seen... Bernal sits up to take the jacket off, which is pretty hard to do because these jackets have such tight sleeves. And then shoves it in, um, like below his jersey. I, it's admirable that he wanted to do this. He wants to cross the line with the pink jersey. You know, it's a great photo op. Um, really risky. He's doing it on wet cobblestones. He easily could have fallen. And then even after that, beyond that, Caruso and Bardet aren't that far behind. They're 26 seconds behind. I mean, he's take this attack is to take time. Um, Caruso's second overall. He's not out of this race. You'd think he'd just want to put time on him, but then also, what if he gotten caught? I kept thinking about that. Like Barday and Caruso are surging behind. What if they would have caught him while he's taking his jacket off? I thought that was was a huge risk. I would have been hilarious to see, but um, seems like a simple solution here just would be to have a pink jacket. I, that that's the thing I didn't understand at all. Like why not just have a rain jacket that's waterproof, that's skin tight, so it's the looks like a jersey but it's also just pink um you could just make those before the season and if you're worried about the bad luck the riders just never see them until they take pink and then it's oh we have this jacket for you below that in the bottom of the team bus that was really strange um not quite sure what's going on there if maybe he got that call from the team card that they had to do that like to be in compliance with the with the race that you have to cross the line with the correct jersey despite i mean that was exciting the problem is we didn't see any of it so um yeah it was it's kind of a dud of a stage it was supposed to be this amazing mountain stage um didn't happen because for kind of unknown reasons i i would say one silver lining of this is that a a we got to see the stage contested from the from the GC group, I, I'm I've been kind of sick of these breakaways. Just it's like two races in one, which is not that fun for watching. And the other thing is it keeps the gaps quite close. So even though it was a dramatic stage, the gaps at the finish aren't huge. Um, Caruso is twenty finishes twenty second, twenty seven seconds back. Chacone is a minute eighteen. Hugh Carthy is a minute nineteen. Almeida's one twenty one. Vlasov's two eleven. Eh, not great for Vlasov. So. I think if they would have done this stage in full, unfortunately, we'll never know. But I think Bernal just would have crushed it. I think it would have been more the same, but like times ten. Possibly Bardet and Caruso miss out the biggest here because if we just game this out and this stage is longer, they potentially pull Bernal back, and it's the three of them in the front. Uh, They could have put a lot of time into the chasers. Like I think Carthy would have just been way, way out of contention for the right now. He's still three minutes forty seconds back, but. You know, if he squint, maybe he has a chance of winning. I think he would be totally out of it. I think Simon Yates—he loses two minutes thirty-seven seconds. I think he's lucky to limit it to that. That's actually really impressive, considering where he got dropped. Um, He must have known that he was in trouble early and just rode his own pace, which pretty pretty high pace. Pretty impressive that he was able to limit it to that. I think he could have lost like a lot of time, like ten minutes, if they would have run this stage as it was originally planned. So um, the silver lining here is we get. The GC contenders duking it out for the win and the race is somewhat, it's still somewhat competitive, even though, I mean, cliff notes from the past week has been anytime the race has been hard, Bernal's stronger than everyone else. So not looking good for anyone who's not him trying to win the race. Um, We go back to like stage 11 on on the Strada Bianchi, the gravel. I mean, he was just so comfortable on that. I mean, Felipe Ogana was just drilling it on the front, and he was just sitting second wheel. He looked so comfortable. So if you think, well, he's a great bike handler, uh, pretty good descender, best climber in the race, and he's not shabby in the time trial. He's not some huge liability in the time trial. You know, he will be able to, like, Caruso's probably better, but he'll probably be able to limit his losses and finish 10 to 20 seconds behind him. So, yeah, I mean, on the, on the Zonkalan, he looked maybe... Slightly under pressure in the last 3k when Yates attacked, but we saw that was just it was just optics. I mean, maybe he was just making a funny face because that's what he does when he climbs. Uh, because he just roasted, roasted Yates in the last four or five hundred meters when he attacked. He was blowing by guys like buckle Melima and George Bennett, who are great climbers. Like they're like they were standing still in that final straight. So, yet yeah, shown no sign of weakness. Supposedly he has scoliosis, and that's a problem. Uh, we never really got a clear answer on what was really going on with his back. Uh, I, I would say it's fine; looks fine to me. So I think maybe I'm, you never know about translations and and really what type of information you're getting on on stuff like that. Uh, same thing with Rimco. I mean, we never really f- we never really found out what was wrong with his pelvis, but uh, clearly this the back is is fine. And I think it's if it's been fine so far, it's gonna be it's not gonna go out in the final week. That's kind of like a technique. I think the media is using to make it seem more interesting than it is like you never know the back could go out uh, I think if it's worked this this well this far it's okay for the rest of the race and, and other notes on the stage Carthy goes into third I, I so the team it's admirable that they took over I thought it was a little crazy at first when I saw it like what are they doing they're doing Ineos's job for them um, in retrospect at least they, they jumped him up into third they dropped vlasov but i think vlasov got a jacket stuck in his wheel which you could argue was just dumb luck you know maybe their pace had nothing to do with that and that's why he lost time not because he was physically weaker but you know maybe their pace put put him under pressure he was going a little faster than he wanted to he couldn't get his jacket off and you know that you force people to make mistakes so uh, that would be the bold case for it carthy uh, did get dropped just never a good, it's never good to like set pace and then launch the race leader who you know is stronger than your rider and then drops your rider. And then your rider also gets dropped by uh, second place and a rider in Bardet who is like exudes class. He's just a very classy rider, very good, very talented, and is now like resurgent in the third week that suits him incredibly well. So yeah, you could argue maybe that was a bit of an unforced error, but you know, at the end of the day, they had to try something. And they were clearly planning to do this on, on the longer, harder stage. So um, I don't really fault them. We've seen such little appetite amongst GC teams, including Ineos, especially teams that aren't Ineos, to do anything. Um, I wonder if that's just because the third week is so hard that teams have been hesitant to do so. Uh, maybe EF had been planning to do this all race, and they were just waiting. They knew you know these final four, these four GC stage. Well, I guess guess three mountain stages plus a time trial, and but then even the sprint stage. We'll talk about that in a minute. Is pretty tough. So um, that no one's done anything. I mean, this past week has been boring, like snooze fest. It's just break every day, and then the GC. You maybe have a GC battle behind, maybe not. Maybe the GC just kind of rolls in. Um, if you just look at the stage winners since the last rest day, Maro Schmid. Andrea Vendram. Giacomo Nizzolo. He, I mean, he's a big name. That was a sprint stage though. Lorenzo Fortunato. So I mean, he won on the Zonkalon. That was pretty impressive. But that was from a breakaway too. Victor Campanarts on stage 15 and then Bernal yesterday. So yesterday was like the first GC day for a long time. Your first day where the GC was was competing for the win. Um, Vlasov's the big loser. He loses time to Carthy, but I, I actually I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, none of these none of this damage is like irreversible, especially with so many hard stages coming up. I'm curious to see if that was a physical thing or if he just messed up his jacket situation and lost time because of that. Uh, And last night on the stage, Remco loses 27 minutes to Bernal. So he's officially out of the GC. He looked like he was miserable, really struggling. And this all makes sense. I mean, this is what should have happened. He's 21. He's never raced a Grand Tour, never raced a Grand Tour before, uh, never raced in the mountains like this you know there's a lot that's new to him here so this is no surprise this should be no surprise to anyone i'm a little su- little shocked that his decona quick step team appears to have put so much into this though like they joao lost maybe four minutes waiting for him in addition to the four minutes he lost on the first climb on stage four um if they just would have kept a minute and he you know eats that four minutes He's still in the fight for the podium at this point. And that, that's the strangest thing to me here is that Konik must have seen this coming. Uh, I, this can't be catching them by surprise. I assume Remco won't start the stage tomorrow. I think he'll leave uh, during this rest day, which, which might seem like quitting, like, oh, no, he needs to stay and fight through. I think there's diminishing returns there at a certain point. I think he's got a lot of good experience. You don't want, you don't want him just getting beat. Beat, beat up this last these last few days, which is what would happen. Uh, I think you I think you just pull him and you call it like a success, uh, and then he kind of rests and gets back into training. I that's what I would do. I'm not sure that's what they're going to do, but um, overall, very odd to me that they seem to have put so much into the Rimco GC basket. It was never never feasible for him to win due to his age, his inexperience, and coming off a pretty pretty bad injury that we don't know a ton about, but you know, we saw him fall off a bridge, a uh, pretty high bridge. So yeah, that wasn't that long ago. That was like seven months ago. So yeah, it's not shocking to me that he's not winning this race. I think Tacona just could have spread their eggs around in a different baskets. Just let Joao ride his own race. The whole thing is, is very odd to me, but the outcome is certainly isn't, is not surprising considering just logic and facts. Last note from the stage is Bernal set a record up the Paso Joao, which is impressive, which we should definitely take note of. He's clearly in great shape. But you have to remember this is a really unique stage. You almost never hit this climb with that little climbing before it. And also the last time we did this in 2016, it was not the final climb on the stage. So they would have ridden it quite a bit easier than they did today. But he beats Joe Jombrowski has the Strava record. He beats it by forty two seconds, which is which is pretty, pretty good. I mean he's climbing really well. I mean, the question is, we'll get, I'll also get into this a little bit later. Is he climbing as fast as Roglic and Pogachar will be at the Tour? Um, maybe. He might be. His time trial clearly isn't on the same level, though. But we'll talk about, I, I think, kind of the storyline in this final week, I think this, this race is over. A Long story short, Bernal's, Bernal has this wrapped up. He's taken time any time it's been hard from stage four. So, yeah, I think, I think the GC's curtains here. I, I think he has he, it wrapped up. I think the big question in the third week, it's going to be this rumbling issue of, should he go to the Tour? Should it be the team's leader at the Tour de France? He's clearly the strongest rider on the team at the moment, but uh, we'll talk about that, that at the very end. We go into the rest day. Riders are resting right now. Tomorrow, this is going to be hard because tomorrow, stage 17 is, is very hard. Uh, at least the finish is very hard. If you remember 2017, um, it was almost the reverse of this stage where it started on in the Alps and like the Alps of the northwest of Italy. And then, and it went over to the Dolomites. And then now we're we're doing the opposite. We're going from the Dolomites uh, down to like Lago Garda, which is closer. You kind of leave the Dolomites. You're still in the Alps, but it's just a slightly different type of mountain range. It's It's like a transition stage that is also in the mountains. So it's difficult, but not like, an, not like stage 16 was supposed to be, where it's just staccato su- successive climbs where you know, it's GC action all day and very difficult. Um, this is going to be harder than stage 17 of 2017 because if you remember that day, Pierre Rolland, that you go up, they went up this long, long, long valley that climbs gradually and then finishes right at the base of the Dolomites. Pierre Rolland won that from the breakaway. But this is the opposite of that. So they're going to be going downhill for the first, just like 140 kilometers or essentially downhill. There's one little climb. It's 3K long at 9%. So that would be a a nice little surprise for them. So uh, yeah, the stage starts, I guess, I I, I actually have no idea how, I guess I could imagine a breakaway going. You know, if the Peloton's coming, the GC riders are coming out of the rest day, they want to kind of ease into this. You could see a break really build up a gap on this fast downhill but because the speeds are going to be so fast it's not like they're climbing starting on a climb where the speed differential is so high you know the, even the peloton taking it quote unquote easy will be moving at a pretty good pace it's going to be hard to go at you know 1.5 x that pace and get a big gap um and then at 140k to go like the stage totally flips so it goes from being just like a gradual downhill to two pretty tough climbs they go right into a 15k climb 7. 6% average. So, fairly steep. I mean, for a French climb, that would be pretty steep. Um, but then that is certainly long. Any, any breakaway there, and you got to imagine at this point, the GC teams have to come out. Uh, they, as I said earlier, they've been playing it pretty coy, pretty reserved, but they've been doing so because the third week is so hard. It, in my opinion, I hope, I guess that's why they've been doing that. So, you're going to, I think you're going to have to see Astana coming, up, coming out. You're going to have to see EF again. Uh, Bahrain, Bahrain's probably pretty happy with where Caruso is, and they've been so devastated by crashes that they don't have a lot of strength yet, uh, left. And Caruso's been, I mean, this guy's a defensive master. I don't think I've seen him on TV once this entire race, and he's in second by a pretty good margin. So Bahrain certainly won't do anything. Caruso will just, will just follow wheels because that's what he's been so, so good at. And you might even see Bike Exchange. They might have to do something for Simon Yates here. Because um, we're just getting to that point in the race where, where action needs to be taken. So I think you're going to see pretty, pretty hard pace on that climb. And then we descend, we kind of do a loop, this little loop on the banks of uh, Lago Dugarda, and then we have a hard summit finish. It's 11.5K at 10% average. So that's almost like the passage wow on stage 16. Uh, so if you think about a breakaway with those two climbs, they would need a big gap. They might need like a. God, like an like an eight minute gap by the mark of the first climb to stay away. Because that time is gonna get melt. It's just gonna melt down. Because if you don't see attacks on that first climb, you're gonna see them on the second one. I mean, this is like this is serious GC time. And this is a hard stage coming out of a rest day. I mean, as I said last time with Remco, you know, stage eleven, he struggled because it was his first time ever coming out of a rest day, which is really hard. You can see weird things happen. Um you know, if you're a team that's needs to make up time, if you're Hugh Carthy, you know, maybe Bernal has a bad day coming out of out of the rest day. You never know. You just have to try. Same with Flassoff. You have to try. Maybe Bernal, his body just feels blocked up after the rest day. So I do expect that we'll see something tomorrow. Um in the in the final, you know, 60 kilometers are, are pretty exciting. It's gonna be, I mean, total snooze to fast for that first 140k. I don't see anything happening. Maybe you could see. I mean, maybe this is like Formigal 2.0 where Bike Exchange comes out and they just try to take Ineos by surprise and build up a big gap on that downhill and they start to climb with, a, with an advantage. I don't see that happening though. Um, you, you, you did see something like this. If you remember the stage, this must have been the 2019 Vuelta a España, the stage de Guadalajara. Uh, it was kind of like this. And I guess the, the, the big difference there was there was winds, There was cross tailwinds. So the Peloton could split up, but I just don't, I think you're going to get, it's going to be another snooze fest breakaway day. Um, but those final two climbs could see them pulled back and we, we have to see something from the other GC teams. Um, that second week was so passive, but I think it was passive because this third week is so hard. That would be my intuition, my guess. And then, so stage 18 is a sprint stage. I guess not. It's, you would call it a sprint stage. But if you look at the profile, it's actually pretty tricky. Um, there's a couple steep climbs at the end. I mean, in theory, maybe this is another breakaway day. I've certainly had my fill of breakaways um, so far. We go back into the Po Valley. But there are There's a couple, there's like a little shark, some shark tooth climbs at the end there. Um, There's like a cat four, it's 5.3K long at 4%. And then there's a steep wall with bonus seconds um, at the bottom right before the finish. So um, I I expect my, uh, I mean, just just judging by what's happened so far, there's a long stage too. It's 230K. That's like a classic. That's longer than like Amstel Gold. That's crazy. This is what I can't stand about this year. I don't know why they put these stages in here in the third week. Um, I think a break's going to have like 20 minutes. Um, so this might just be a rest day, active recovery. But then stages 19 and 20 are pretty hard, it's specifically stage 19. So we didn't get to see the successive climbs, kind of the bang, bang, bang of HC climbs in a row, which are really what make a stage, a, a stage really tough to control. Um, if we do stage 16 in its entirety, you know, Ineos can't control it because you lose so many riders over the first and second climbs. That you finally get to see like mano ui mano battles over the maybe the third and fourth climbs. And then if you have the descent into the finish, stuff it can get really interesting. Um, unfortunately, we might not see that at this zero because that was kind of the one chance. But stage 19, it's, it's kind of a mini version of a really hard mountain, mountain stage. We do leave the Po, so it's like 70K of flat again, but we go back up to the Alps. Um, you get a tough climb to start that. And then you get a kind of a tough climb, like a cat three, and then a final climb. Might, it might be hard enough to break it up before the final climb, but probably not, unfortunately. Uh, but that final climb's tough. It's 10K long at 9%. So that's another really, really hard final climb that we'll have to see some GC action on if people, I mean, these, I think second through seventh place are separated by like just over two minutes. So minimum those podium spots will be up for grabs. Uh, final, Final road stage, stage 20, is a mountain stage. Uh, it's another stage. It's flat for like the first 70K. Um, and then we get three climbs the summit finish. None of the climbs are that hard, though, especially that summit finish is only a 7.7% average. I don't know if we'll see any significant attacks on that. Um, and then the stage 21 time trial. I'll do a podcast, hopefully with Marco Panati before that TT. We'll talk about that in Milan. Long, long time trial um, for, for the modern era, 30K long. So, um, we'll definitely see some big time changing hands on that stage. But just before we go, I want to talk about um, Egan Bernal to the Tour de France. I heard about this. I, the Eurosport uh, post race show should just basically be called like the Garrett Thomas Support Club because it's Bradley Wiggins and then two other British people who love 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 Garrett Thomas so much. And they keep bringing up preemptively that Bernal should not go to the Tour de France. That They actually, in my opinion, it's a little disrespectful how much they're talking about Garrett Thomas. We're like, well, Egan Bernal is putting on a really impressive show here. This is, it's been kind of a boring race and I, unfortunately, it might get buried a little bit by just how boring the racing has been, but this is really impressive. I mean, he's just looked in control from, from stage four. Um, I think there's even more to come from him. I mean, that stage win, I'm sure it was great yesterday, but we didn't get to see it, but we might see. A couple, I think we're going to get to witness some pretty impressive performances from him in the in the days to come. And yeah, it's creates weird, a little weird to me that how much they talk about Garrett Thomas. They're like, well, Garrett Thomas will be at home and he won't be worrying about this because Egan Bernal's definitely not going to the Tour de France. And I thought that was uh, silly the first couple of times. I'm like, well, of course, Bernal's not going to the Tour de France. That's like a huge ask of a writer who's just coming back from injury, kind of a really bad year last year, maybe overtrained, maybe back injury. Um. Why would you take that risk? Of course, Bernal's not going. But the more I think about it, the more they talk about it, the more they talk about how he shouldn't go, I start to wonder well, maybe he should go. You know, if you just think about it objectively, he's clearly the best GC rider on the team. I think he's the third best GC rider in the world. I think he's the only rider who could potentially challenge Roglic and Pogachar because he can climb as fast as them. I mean, that's the key here. Like, Pogachar and Roglic can just jam up these climbs. I mean, like, if you remember podcasts I was doing the, during the tour last year, uh, Pogacar was doing like 7.1 watts per kilo on climbs, like long climbs, like 20, 30 minute climbs. Uh, that, that's almost unbeatable. I mean, that's like as fast as a human can go up a climb. Um, I think Bernal could, could potentially match that. And I think he's one of the only riders in the world to be able to do that. So if Ineos wants to win. And Dave Brailsford, this guy lives to win. This is this is like all he cares about. I think he would admit that he has to consider taking Bernal there. And if you wonder, you know, my initial thought of well, that's too much to ask of him. You know, the last person to do the Tour Zero Double was Marco Pantani in 1998. We now know that he is on tons of EPO, so kind of a bad example. If you remember, Tom Dumoulin did the Giro Tour Double in 2018. He got second in both. He lost to a flying Chris Froome at the Zero, and then he lost to Garrett Thomas at the tour, he just rested between the two races. Showed up at the tour, was really good. Um, I think you know Thomas was incredible that year. No shame in losing to him, but that that is proof of concept that this can be done. Um, getting second in both races to different riders each time, you know. In theory, he could have won. He could have won both those races. So you know, it physically, can be done. I don't think there's any disputing that. And I think the fact that Bernal has it. Race that much this year helps him even more because he took that big break before the Giro, um, so he's somewhat fresh and he's not over raced. You know, if you add up his race days, Giro plus the prep races like Torino Adriatico, um, that that wouldn't be crazy. You know, that that's actually would be about even with a normal Tour contender if they did, you know, the normal stage races in the spring and then they did the stage race in June to prepare, um, like like Roglic, you know, last year or. Garrett Thomas or Chris Froome used to do. So it's not a crazy amount of race day either. So, um, oddly, the British media talking about how he shouldn't go to the tour has actually talked me into the fact that maybe he should go. Um, his time trial is still a big issue. He can't time trial anywhere near as fast as Roglic and Pocachar. There's a lot of time trialing at this Tour de France. So that's a huge issue. But, you know, it gives you a shot. You know, weird stuff can happen, happen in the mountains you know, Bernal is su- such, he's proving at this year that he's such a dynamic racer that, you know, he's not just a climber. You know, we thought in 2019 that he was some type of diesel, you know, he has to be to the high mountains and long high altitude climbs is where he thrives. But this Giro is a perfect example. There's no high altitude climbs. We did the, the Joao yesterday was the highest altitude we'll get to. It's like 7,000 feet. That's not that high. Um, hasn't been that many long climbs either. I mean, he's just been thriving on these short, punchy stages, taking time. Like he's out there, just barnstorming, just taking time wherever he can. So, uh, I don't think I don't think he could beat those those two guys this year. But I think he could give them a run for their money, and I think he's the best shot they have. And and you have to roll out your best team. So, um, if he's up for it, I I think that would actually be a really interesting move to take him to the tour. Obviously, getting a little bit ahead of myself here because he hasn't won the Giro yet, but I expect him to. Uh, Damiano Caruso has proven to be the only rider who can even closely match him, and he is currently like two and a half minutes down. Probably won't overtake him unless there's some type of mechanical or complete physical collapse, which likely won't happen. Um, I think we'll see an Egon Bernal win, but we never know. And I'll, and I'll pop in a, a quick podcast, hopefully with Panati before the time trial on uh, this coming Sunday. Stages 17 and 19 should be pretty interesting. So that is on Wednesday and Friday. Thanks for listening and have a great week.